We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome into another edition of Pete's Pigskin Preview presented by Riverland Roofing. I'm Neil McCready. That is MPW digital football expert Pete DeWeese, who's been with us on this show. He's been with us on our post-game shows, which is not something he signed up for uh, at the beginning of the season. But we have leaned on him as uh, Ole Miss has gotten started with this season. The Rebels now 2-0, and ranked 17th in the Associated Press Top 25. Ole Miss entertains Georgia Tech, who is 1-1. Uh, coming off of a uh, respectable showing and a loss to Louisville, and then they uh, they beat somebody last week. I don't know some one of those teams. They're one and one. Uh, they'll head to uh, Oxford this weekend. Ole Miss, of course, beat Georgia Tech forty-two to nothing in Atlanta last season. I asked Lane Kiffin about that earlier in the week. He said, "Look, half the roster's new. I don't know that it matters." Uh, of course, that was Jeff Collins a year ago. It's now Brent Key. Uh, so there are some differences. New quarterback Haynes King for uh, Georgia Tech. So we're going to get to uh, some thoughts about Georgia Tech and all of that in a minute. Uh, I will tell you that most of what Pete's going to do today is talk about Ole Miss because that's what you guys want to know. What's going on with the Rebels? Ole Miss uh, beats Tulane 37-20 to last weekend in New Orleans, but the game was a little closer than the final score indicated. So we'll, we'll talk about uh, all of those things and more. Again, we're brought to you by Riverland Roofing. Would you like some peace of mind knowing that your roof is taken care of? Whether you need an inspection, a new roof, or a maintenance program, Riverland Roofing has you covered home or business. As a GAF Master Elite contractor, they can offer warranties that last a lifetime. Licensed and insured, Riverland Services Mississippi and its surrounding states. So text them or call them today. Riverland Roofing, 662-644-4297. Mr. Deweese, how are you, sir? Doing well. Good. Uh, all right. Well, I mean, we're going to dive right into it here in a minute because I'm curious. I was telling you before we got rolling, I've kind of, I don't know football the way you guys know football. Um, I do feel like I know how to kind of get some information a little bit. So I, 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 I touched base with some people that I know in various football circles who don't have ties to Ole Miss, don't have a, either an ax to grind against the rebels or they're not fans either. So they just kind of like football and they looked at it and, the big thing that came up in my conversations about Ole Miss this week was not defense. It's kind of like, yeah, you know, they're getting the most out of their personnel over there. They've got some got some personnel issues on defense. People are like, I'm not crazy about their linebackers from a, just an athleticism standpoint, but they, they were in the right places. They did some good things. Um, 
there was a sense that hey, I think their defensive line was improved schematically mm-hmm. against uh, against Tulane. Uh, again, don't have the freak defensive end, freak outside linebacker that just disrupts the hell out of the stuff. But they got a lot out of Isaac Ukwu and Cedric Johnson and and uh, JJ Pegues had a, had a good day. They're using him in an effective manner. Like some of the guys on the back end, some guys made some plays. DeAndre Prince had a good game. John Saunders Jr. had a good game. There were some things to work with there. Obviously, they Caden Davis kicks the hell out of the ball. That's a, a weapon for them. Uh, Jackson Dart was terrific from the football people that I talked to, but it, it, it you know where I'm going here. It came about down to, well, Trey Harris got hurt. Tulane had a really good scheme defensively. They were really well coached. We knew they would be there. Everybody... Everybody is high on Willie Fritz as a coach and his staff. There was a, you know, Ole Miss's offensive line, man, kind of, kind of, it's early. Don't want to write them off. There's 10 games left, but got questions. And I gather from uh, from what you've said to me before we got rolling that uh, you do too. So that's one of the things that I think a lot of people are interested in because look, and you know this, you've been around the SEC and watched it as a fan and as an analyst and all that stuff for a long time. If you can't, if you can't make it happen up front in this league, it's hard. It's, it's like trying to win baseball games without a pitching staff. It's, it's, it's hard. I mean, you, 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 you can outslug some people here and there and you can go outscore some people with your passing game. And Lane talked about this on Monday. You can throw it 65 times and that's going to beat some people, but it's not beating the best people. No, not consistently in this league. So uh, I'll, I'll just kind of hand it off to you. I'm curious to see where you go. Again, Ole Miss, Georgia Tech, 6.30 on Saturday. I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. I'm speaking for me. Pete, you can tell me I'm dead wrong. Obviously, I think Ole Miss is going to beat Georgia Tech. The line's 19 and a half points. I think the Rebels will win. I think Georgia Tech's better than they were a year ago. Uh, I think they'll present themselves better than they did a year ago in Atlanta. I still think Ole Miss wins the game. I, I, if we're talking about Georgia Tech on Monday morning on Alabama week, something went horribly wrong. And at that point, the problems are a lot worse than we thought they were. And it's not the team that we think it could be. And so Ole Miss plays – by the time you look at this, Ole Miss plays Alabama in nine days. That's your exam. It's the big exam. The professor told you at the beginning of the semester, the very first day when you walked in and he handed you the syllabus, he put a date. September 23rd, big-ass exam. Yep. And it's coming. And so the, what's interesting to me in this game Saturday is to see, all right, have you studied enough to get to a place where over the course of the next week, you've got a chance to pass that exam because the exam's coming. It's, it's, it's called Alabama. And I know they lost to Texas, but it's still a big-ass exam. And it's right there, September the 23rd. The professor told you it was coming, and here it is. And that's what I'm curious to see on Saturday, and I suspect you tend to agree with that sentiment. Yeah, I, I do. Um, you know, I, I will say this. I um, I have a lot of respect for Brent Key. I've known Brent. I've called Brent a friend for several years now, um, and and a guy that that as a coach, I mean, he's been somebody for several years that. Um, from when he first started recruiting guys that played for me when he was at Central Florida, still as an assistant, we're talking 2011 probably. Um, he was a guy that from day one, you could pick up the phone, you could call, you never were going to get big-timed. And he's a phenomenal recruiter. And and um, because of that, because that, that same 
his same openness to me is the same way that parents and recruits and, and people in the business see him. And, and, you know, he, he's had a good career and he like Lane, um, you know, spent some time under Saban and, and learned a lot of good things from Nick. And um, when he took over this program last year in the middle of the season, you started to see an uptick in how they performed in a lot of different ways. He had a chance to overhaul the roster. So I, I you're dead on. I think you're going to see a better product. I think bringing Buster in to call the offense and some of the staff changes that he made, um, even from a support staff standpoint, some guys that I've known for for quite a while that are now on staff there, um, they they are going to be a well coached team. They're going to play hard, um, and and you know it it will be it will be a good game for Ole Miss. Now Ole Miss is going to have to play better to get the result that they want, and that's not a threat of a loss or a prediction of a loss or anything because I do think Ole Miss ultimately has the better roster, um, you know, but, but there's, there's some human, I, I've got technically three kids that have played for me at some point in their career on the roster at tech right now. I've got a freshman offensive lineman. Um, number two, Dylan Leonard is one of their tight ends. He's one of the leaders in their program. His uh, older brother was in my position for three years and Dylan was a young player on that team on the other side of the ball. And so, you know, I've, I've got ties to that program. And like I said, I have a ton of respect for what they do, but from a roster standpoint, if Ole Miss can play better up front in particular, there's lots of reason to to think that they'll see good success. I mean, you know, statistically, and you look at that Louisville game, um, Georgia tech, there's nothing they did that blows you away defensively. Uh, they've been very good at the quarterback position. They're completing, I think, like 65% of their passes. They're moving the ball. They've not been great running the ball right now. Um, and so they're going to present different problems than what Tulane did. But watching what I've watched of the Georgia Tech defense, having watched now the Tulane Ole Miss game, they're going to do some very similar things in how they try to attack Ole Miss. Now, the, the reality is – what Tulane did to attack Ole Miss is not that drastically different than things that Ole Miss has seen before. And I think I talked about this in the post game on Saturdays. Lane mentioned it on the field in game in an interview that they were playing similar to how Vanderbilt had played Ole Miss the the year prior. And essentially they they just made a decision that we're gonna we're gonna populate the box and we're gonna force you to try to throw it outside. We're going to try to limit the big plays on the outside because they know Ole Miss wants to run the football, and they used a lot of movement and a lot of different um, a lot of different pressures to try and, and clog those running lanes. And so um, there, there's a lot of things, you know. And I, I went back and I, I just I spent a decent amount of time really watching um, the, this Ole Miss offense and, and looking at not just what worked, what what, what didn't work. Looking at play calls, looking at it, and, and it's easy to sit there as a fan and go, oh, we run it up the middle every play. Well, that doesn't mean you're running the same thing every time. Right? Well, we always do this or we always do that. Well, maybe what it looks like, that doesn't mean that's actually what it is. And sometimes, yes, that there is a lot of certain elements, right? But sometimes the game isn't necessarily as repetitive as you think it is. But watching it, I tried to think about, okay, thinking about the Mercer game, Thinking about last season, what trends are carrying over for the Ole Miss offense that they might have used to build their game plan defensively, 
and I, I think they know, and I, I think Kiffin knows, right? I mean, they opened against Mercer in particular with the base of the base offense, and they expanded on it a little bit against Tulane. Um, I do think there's still some places that they can go, but some of that is limited to personnel. And We talked about it on Saturday. Losing your two best tight ends in the run game have played them, you know, it has an effect on your ability to run the football. And, and so, you know, Ole Miss, they're not built to spend an entire game in four wide to create run game. They can run the ball from those sets, but that's really not their identity or who they want to be. They tend to do a great job of using formation and motion to create run game. And without a tight end that can be a vital part of that, that can get, that can become very difficult um, to do. So, We'll kind of talk about some of the things I see, some of the trends, maybe um, things that I think might have helped Tulane. Like I spent a lot of time today looking at how I thought Tulane built their game plan, in particular to stop the run. Now, listen, I I'm a high school coach. I I know what I have learned. I know what people have told me. Right. Um, I'm not inside a staff room. I can't tell you the way I teach something's the way Ole Miss teaches something. And I'm certainly not pretending that I deserve, I deserve to have their job or be paid what they, they're paid. Right. Um, but there, there's some kind of basic tenets of football and, and defensive football that, that you can kind of start to get a feel on. And we'll talk about some of those things, um, kind of as we go through the film. And I, I will do my best for people that are listening in podcast form. Um, but obviously there's a lot to be gained from, from the visual here as well. So we'll, we'll try to try to kind of map through it. So, um, one thing, call it coincidence, call it whatever. Um, you know, Ole Miss started off the Mercer game running what is essentially known as a boundary flood concept. And so the boundary being the short side of the field and a flood is any time that you layer multiple players in a, a high to low or low to high. Um, essentially stack leveling out the defense and trying to create this this uh, vertical stretch over um, over the defenders okay so when they did it against Mercer what they did was they took the receiver to the right of the quarterback and they sent him vertical and they took another receiver who faked and sold an inside breaking route and then he bent it back out to the space that would be in front of the defensive backs that have been cleared out by the vertical and behind the linebackers and the flat defenders. So Ole Miss actually started the two-lane game, not with the same play, but getting to a similar concept that attacks the same area of the field. It gives Jackson Dart pretty essentially a very similar read. They built it differently this time. Instead of having the two receivers to the right of the quarterback, work that that fade and that deep out route they brought the out from the opposite side of the field on a crossing route so they used a little eye candy they took their receiver and sold jet motion to the field so the ball's in the middle of the field maybe shaded a little bit to the right hash Ole Miss comes out tight end and a receiver to the left with the tailback in the shotgun two receivers to the right and they bring the slot receiver in jet motion. So instead of building that second level flood with that slot receiver, they're actually going to bring the receiver across the field. He is going to start shallow right at the depth of these backers to try and get lost by this safety and the rest of the defenders on the right side of the field 
so that as the outside receiver to the right of the offense runs a post, a lot of times this is called a take-two post. His job is to run right at this corner, get to the post, and try to draw two defenders, in this case, the safety in the corner. As that happens, Ole Miss is going to sneak the running back into the flat to the right, and the receiver that's coming from the left across the formation is now going to climb, and he's going to work into that void that's now been created. So you use the motion for eye candy. You play action. You've got seven guys in theory in protection with the tailback having the ability to check out, and they're going to build this climb route coming from the other side of the formation. So you can see the route starts shallow. It starts to climb. Now, it's a great ball. You probably would like to see it thrown slightly more to the sideline so that the corner is not a factor as he falls off of the post route. He's able to see it and fall off late. It's a good ball, a good catch, but it had a chance to be a really devastating blow. I, I don't think this is the play where, where, where the injury happened. I think um, it is. I think it is the injury play. Do, do you think it is? Yeah, he came I'm, back. I'm, I'm, I'm almost positive that this is the play that he got hurt on, Pete. So I, I wondered if it was the play. I watched him after, even on the touchdown catch later, there's almost a little bit of a limp there, but he's running. It's kind of hard to tell. But, you know, here in a perfect world, you probably like that ball to be a little bit more to the sideline. He led him a little bit up the field. The corner falls off late. That's not something Dart's going to see at the time that he releases that pass. Um, but, you know, Ole Miss starts the game with an explosive play on a boundary flood concept. Very, very similar to what they did against Mercer. Okay. They come out second play of the game. They're going to come out now in a four wide set. So you've got two receivers to the top, two receivers to the bottom. Um, you've got Juggins to the right of the quarterback here. Okay. And they are going to run. Um, essentially a vertical read concept uh, with their outside receivers. So both outside receivers are going to push vertical. And if they get to eight to 10 yards and they are inside, they've collapsed the cushion of the corner, or if that corner is beat, they're going to stay over the top and continue vertical. So Ole Miss is looking to make a statement early. They're being aggressive out the gate with their play calls. Both corners, have opened their hips into a bail technique. So the Jackson Dart's reading the cornerback just like the wide receiver is. So both of those receivers are going to stick their foot in the ground and they're going to come back down the ladder and it essentially turns into a curl or a comeback. So Dart's reading the the corner on the field side, the top of the screen, right? So pre-snap, they've got the same concept on both sides, okay? If I were going to place money here, Right. He's looking for leverage. That inside route is nothing. Its job is to hold the safety and try to hold those linebackers as much as it can. He is isolating his outside receiver. So pre snap before this play starts. Okay. I don't know if my outside receiver is going to be able to remain vertical or if he's going to hit his depth marker and have to come back down the stem to the right side, to the boundary, the short side of the field. You have an outside linebacker that if he expands can easily get underneath that window to the field, to the wide side, that's a lot farther for that guy to go. So from a a quarterback perspective, when he's looking, where's my grass, where do I think my throw is going to be? It is easier for him to look at the alignment of those overhanging defenders 
and see that, okay, it's going to be really hard for that guy to get out underneath my outside route. Okay. So he chooses to work the wide side of the field right here. Okay. Eyes are on it. That receiver gets to his landmark right there. The corner is turned. He's starting to get over the top. He's worried about getting beat. Dark sticks his foot in the ground, gets the ball out. It's great timing for a long throw. I mean, this throw goes from the right hash all the way outside the numbers to the left of the field, but the timing is there. The receiver is able to come back, make a catch, and actually turn and get up field for some additional yardage. So it's a, it's a really big-time throw in rhythm with the receiver. Receiver's on the same page as the quarterback, and Ole Miss is now off and rolling two plays into it. Okay, They're going to come out, and they're going to continue to be aggressive. And Tulane's trying to get their field defensively at this point, too. Ole Miss gets into their tempo right here. Okay, um, they, There's a substitution. The official comes, slows down the offense, controls the tempo, so the defense has a chance to substitute. So Ole Miss is going to come out now, okay, and they're actually this is um they're actually going to run one of their RPOs. And this is the same RPO um that they scored on a week prior to the same player. The only difference is the ball was in a different spot on the field, and um nine was lined up to the left and not to the right, but everything else plays out the same. Okay. They're going to work one of their zone uh RPOs. Here they're going to bring the tight end or the sniffer is going to come around and he's going to go and ISO the backer. And what Dart is trying to determine here is do I have a advantageous run box or do I need to throw the football? They're going to show something in the flat by the slot receiver to the right of the quarterback to try and draw the flat defender. And they're going to push the outside receiver on a glance route, which is just an, a deeper version of a slant. And he's now, Dart is going to see, okay, he's going to do some simple math pre-snap. There's three down linemen plus an, a, a fourth backer on the line of scrimmage, five, six, counting the two linebackers. So right now, nothing changes about the picture. You're six on six. You anticipate if you're Ole Miss, I can win that battle, okay? What he sees is Tulane is walking a safety down into the boundary, adding a seventh defender that he knows they can't account for based on this run scheme, okay? As long as this safety does not fly to this glance route, he believes he's going to be able to throw that football, okay? So we'll watch it real quick from the wide, and then I'm actually going to take us to the end zone, and you can see Dart's eyes right there. He's able to slam it in there, uh, break the tackle, get in the end zone, three plays into the game, and things are looking real good for Ole Miss at this point. So here's the end zone of the same play. You see he's checking the safeties. He looks to his right. He sees where the safety is. Now he looks to the boundary. Number 12 is the, is the boundary safety. He's two yards behind the linebackers. And he backs up a couple steps. But Dart knows right now but it's there's seven no on way. Six, right? It's seven on six right here. So the, the, the run's out. It's seven on six. Now, it turns out there's a really big hole. And it's Judkins one-on-one with the safety, with a chance to potentially make a guy miss if he were to hand this ball off, okay? But when you're teaching this and you're installing this as an offense, you can't say, hey, you know what? If we block it, we might get our guy to make a guy miss right there. You teach it as we're outnumbered. If the throw is there, 
make it. And if not, then we have to hand it off and live with what happens, right? There, it, it is so easy to watch a game and have some kind of revisionist history. Well, why didn't he do this? Well, because he is told that the math is not in his favor and he has what he wants on the outside. So take it. Now the play works for Ole Miss. They're not, they're not downgrading. I mean, he's not getting a minus in his grade book for this, this decision, especially after scoring the touchdown. But you can see as the ball is snapped right here, Dart immediately, his eyes are on that safety. The safety stayed where he wants. Boom. Get him out wide right now. Hit my glance in stride. Great start for Ole Miss. Okay. At this point, Tulane makes the decision. We're going to be more aggressive. They, Right now, whether it was in the plan altogether or they're worried based on how the first drive just went, so now they make seven, the decision. It's seven to seven right here. Tulane it, It's seven to seven right here, gotcha. and they decide we we just gave up a three, four-play scoring drive. We're going to be aggressive, okay? Okay, all right. So they, they come out. They're in their odd front. And, and so, you know, two things that I tried to look at today, I didn't get a chance to do the whole game. I, I somewhere somebody in the Ole Miss uh, coaching office can answer this question probably because I guarantee you one, if not two or three guys have already done it. But I tried to get a feel. Some of the ways that defensive coordinators will call a game, okay, this is a 10-P formation, all right? There's a tight end on the field, but he's not aligned in the formation as a tight end or snipper. He is out as a receiver. Coordinators will sometimes go into games with a plan of, okay, if we get 10P, our checks are going to be X, Y, or Z, okay? It might be balls on the hash, 10P, we want to come from the boundary. It might be balls on the hash, we want to come from the field. It might be we want to go towards the running back or away from the running back based on his alignment. And as a defensive coordinator, you build those things in based on what you find in the scouting report. Soon as that tight end now becomes part of the box, your game plan might change. Instead of X, Y, Z, now it's A, B, C, or D, right? Are we attacking towards the sniffer? Are we attacking away from the sniffer? Is it based off the running back? Does the running back's depth and alignment give something away, right? And and that happens at, at every level. And in high school, it's so easy. It's easier let me say, to pick up on tendencies if you're really good at looking for them. Colleges do a better job of finding ways to hide things. NFL guys do as well. But there's still things that exist. And so, you know, I I tried to look at when Ole Miss is is running the ball, are they attacking towards the running back? Are they slanting to the running back's alignment? Are they slanting or blitzing away from the running back's alignment? Is there a tight end? How does that affect how they're calling the pressure? Is it always coming from the boundary? Is it typically coming from the field? How are they setting their 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 stunts? And I couldn't find anything definitive. Again, I didn't get a chance to to do the whole game. The one thing I can tell you is they like number six. And he had a field day and did some really good things against Ole Miss on Saturday. And so they want him as part of the pressure as much as they can. They want him attacking as much as they can get him there. So that game starts here where um, Ole Miss comes out and they want, they're going to start this drive. And they're actually going to use a scheme that we talked about last week coming out of the Mercer game. 
And last week, the way we showed you was that Ole Miss was going to pull offensive linemen and they were going to run counter and they were going to read the end. And Ole Miss had two ways of doing it. They could bring the back in front of the quarterback and he runs the outside path while the quarterback is downhill. And that's called the bash concept or a, a bash read. Or they could block it the same way and they could put the tailback on the side, the opposite side, and he can run toss and he's still the wide player and the quarterback is still the downhill player. Or the third way to do it with the running back would be to let the running back be the downhill player, let the quarterback read it like you would his own read, and he becomes the outside player. So here Ole Miss adds a different element, and they do it by bringing a receiver in motion. So they're going to block that same counter screen to the right. Ole Miss is right. And they're going to hand the jet sweep. They're really, they're going to toss the jet sweep. So it goes down as a passing play, not a run. Okay. Um, out. They're going to build the wall with two receivers out on the perimeter. And then they're going to lead with the tailback. Okay. Um, it counts as a passing play. It's essentially a run scheme. You're counting. I mean, you're building it out like a run play, but because the quarterback tosses the ball instead of handing the ball, it technically goes down as passing stats right here. Okay, but it's really one of Ole Miss's better run plays, essentially, of the day. You know, they come out, first play of a drive, and they pop 11-yard gain on an easy run concept. It's probably a, you know, it may be 100% I'm going to give it. It may be a a pre-snap yes, no for the quarterback. Hey, yes, I've got numbers. No, I don't have numbers, right? There's a lot of different ways that offenses can handle it. But you can see, even from the end zone copy, okay, that Tulane is going to start moving and slanting their defensive line quite a bit, okay? And they're they're not going to be shy about it for the rest of the game. So as we push forward to the next play, okay? Let me move here. All right, very next play, same drive, second drive of the ball game, Okay. And what you're going to see here is Ole Miss is going to run again one of the run schemes that we highlighted uh, last week, but they're going to do it differently than they did last week. And I'm going to go ahead and skip to the end zone copy. Last week we watched them run this out of four wide, okay? And here they're going to run it with a tight end. So you've got the tight end to the right in a, a slot or wing position to the, by the right tackle. Okay, Aaron, the tailback Aaron, is on the he's the tight end, yeah. Yeah. So what they're going to do is, is based on the alignment of the defense here, they are going to try and pull one of these backside players, in this case the tackle, and he's going to be pulling for the linebacker. And there's going to be an RPO read on the outside. Now, pre-snap here, okay, he's looking at his box. He technically has six guys to block six guys, and he doesn't feel like the defender that's all the way out here wide to the left is going to be an issue in the run scheme based on where the run is designed to go. So mathematically, he's comfortable potentially handing this ball off. They brought a safety down from the wide side of the field, but they can account for him because they have Heath, who is attached to the formation. Now you can watch as the snap plays out, they're going to start working stunts right now and they're actually going to rotate their coverage and add another safety to the box so they've again they started 
with essentially six in the box. They're adding a seventh and sometimes an eighth defender post-snap, and they're using movement to get it. So what Ole Miss is hoping to do is to get hat on a hat on the front side, to be man-to-man, to probably double-team the nose to the backside backer. The left guard is going to go out on this defensive end, and they're going to try to pull the left tackle for this Mike linebacker that's lined up to Ole Miss's right. Okay. As the play snaps, what you're going to see is the movement by the by the entire defensive line. Everybody is going to slant towards the alignment of the running back right here. Okay. As this happens, number eight, who is lined up pretty wide outside of the tight end, is going to spike inside right here. So he's going to cross face. So everybody on the defense here is crossing face and they're changing gaps. Okay. Okay. So we're getting upfield, trying to penetrate here. The nose is coming across here. The end is working outside. What you see happen on this particular snap is the right tackle gets beat on his second step. Pettis. The deep Pettis, the end gets inside and Pettis goes to finish him. And he throws and almost throws him into the backfield. Yeah. So as the left tackle comes around, he has to avoid all that trash to try and get to his linebacker, but he can't successfully he do, do it. it. Yeah, he doesn't do it. it, it it's and, and that's almost an impossible task for him, quite honestly. You know, from a footwork perspective, if I'm if I'm Pettis at right tackle right here, and this defender is head up of me, and I know I have him. I'm going to take typically what's called a settle rock step. I'm going to settle inside with my inside foot. And if he slants that way, I'm going to get my second step in the ground as quickly as I can. And I'm going to try to just wash him down. I would in a perfect world, keep my hat inside, but you can see right here, his first step goes to protect the slant happens. His second step gets in the ground and then he never gets a third step. He tries to torque and finish now. So that allows the defender to kind of get upfield into the backfield. So now you go second play of the drive. You, you know, you start off with a good play on the first play of the drive. And now you come out on an, on a first and 10 and you turn in, uh, I think a, a zero yard or a, a negative one, um, maybe on, on first down. Looks okay. like they lost, looks like they lost um, the yard. It, look, yeah. So now they come out. Okay. And they're going to come out, and they're going to go back to um, – it's it's really the scheme that they opened the game with last week. Again, they're just handling it a little bit differently. Okay, Last week, um, they, they had a different player coming across. What they're going to do here to build that same uh, boundary flood concept, even though they're running it to the field here, they're going to push vertical with the outside receiver. They're going to inside stem and run this sail route with the inside guy and they're going to motion Judkins out and they're going to try to draw this flat defender. And if you can clear the corner and draw the flat defender, you, again, you open up that intermediate lane for an easy throw and catch. It's something that Ole Miss has done very successfully over the past few years. They were really good at it against Mercer. They did some things here in this game where they were successful. Okay. But what, what Tulane does here is they are going to bring more than Ole Miss can block, okay? 
I have zero clue how Ole Miss is teaching their five-man protections, okay? When you release the running back and there's no tight end involved and you're in a a 5-0 or a five-out protection, a scat protection as some people call it, everybody's rules are going to be different, okay? Um, There are teams that they are going to work half-man, half-slide. So the left side or the right side of the line might be a gap-based protection, while the other side is a man-based protection. There are teams that are going to ask their guards, like against this type of front, an odd front, where their tackles are going to lock on, and they're going to ask their guards to um, to actually double-read it. So if I were the left guard right here, I'm looking at 45. If he comes, he's mine. And if he's not, I've got to pop out and take the edge rusher if he comes off the edge. It's a very difficult thing to do. Okay, so everybody's got different rules. I do not so, know. Can I interrupt for a question? Because I'm, I'm curious if this is what the quarterback's thinking. So Judkins is in motion, and I can't tell what number this is. It's 50-something, a linebacker. He's he's going out he's, with him. So if you're, yep. if you're Jackson right now, you've, you're five-on-five, five, because I don't think Heath is in a position to block. So it's five on five, but what you have on the right side of the offensive line is just one guy. You've got a nose tackle right over the center, and then you've got three guys going against the left side of the offensive line, potentially. So you're trying to figure out math right there. You you are, and and you know the thing is, so you can see the center here. Okay, the center is over the ball, and he's looking at the defense. You see him; he points to his left. Okay. He is telling the offensive line where he thinks, where he's calling the protection point and where he thinks the pressure is is probably coming from. And he's okay? right, yeah. It, it, but what happens here, and, and it, it's hard to tell, okay, if they're a half-man, half-slide protection, I'm going to go back before the motion. You know, one thing about using this type of motion, if I can get my controller to stop, one thing about using this type of motion is once the motion starts, you can't adjust your protection. Pre-snap right here, whether it's on dart, on the center, it's easy for somebody to walk up and go, hey, slide left, slide left, whatever their communication is. Once this motion starts, the ball's getting snapped, and you don't have time to communicate, okay? okay? So let's say they're half slide, half man here, all right? That would mean that if he points to his left, that he's telling everybody, hey, we're going to take this left side. We're going to fan this way because we've got four set four four threats. Okay, that means we're man to man on the right. So I've got him if he comes. I've got him if he comes. Okay. If this guy disappears, <clears throat> okay, then the guard is looking for work. He's either helping inside out or outside in. But even in this zone protection, there's always the last man in the slide. So in this case, the center. Even if his gap is technically here, if their man over here, he has to take the last thing and can't let it cross face. Okay, All right. So again, don't know what protection they're actually in right here, other than it being a five man protection. So as the defense brings their pressure from the boundary, okay, and this is just a traditional what a lot of people call NCAA, he is going to slant to this gap. This end is going to slant outside. The end to the left is actually going to come all the way to A-gap. Right. They're going to bring this outside linebacker off the edge. 
and 45 is now going to become what's essentially the B gap defender. Okay. Okay. So what they've done is they've overloaded one side of the protection. Yeah. And whether you're in a five man or a six man, all of that movement and the exchanging of gaps can be difficult to pick up. It's, it's one of the more popular pressures at all levels of football. Okay. Um, right here, they've got it called at the right time into the, into the right deal. Okay. So they're actually going to go NCAA switch here. They're actually going to cross face with the nose, cross two gaps with the end. The outside backer is going to attack and cross face. And they're actually going to bring 45 all the way to the outside. Okay. So as this happens, the center gets on an island right there, gets very little help from his right guard, but gets enough. Okay. But, but now the, the left, left guard, guard is beat. He gets beat. The left, he is a hundred percent on an island. Okay. So he goes to set right here. And you spend a lot of time talking about your post foot as an offensive lineman in pass pro. So right here, as he posts out and he sees that end, he has to get his inside foot back in the ground and it has to go lateral or even slightly upfield. Because okay. if I drop, at all with that inside foot, I've opened the gate. Okay. So he's got to have a big inside hand. He's got to be hard lateral with that inside foot right here. And you can see what happens is it's almost like he's just late getting in the ground. So he steps with his left foot, right foot's in the ground. Oh crap. Here comes the end. When he takes that second step with his right foot, it goes backwards. He misses with his punch of his right hand. Now you can see his feet are crossed over. He's beat. He's got beat. And I can't reiterate this enough. At this level of football, against this level of defensive athlete, your offensive linemen have to be elite athletes. Yeah. They can't be just big. They can't just – they have to be elite athletes. And right here, you see one athlete losing to another, and it's because he loses ground with that first step, he crosses third step, he crosses over, and now the only chance he has is to try to hook, running by, and hope that Dart can step up the other direction. Okay. Now the other thing you'll see is you watch when it. Forty five forty five gets to him on the backside there. If you watch the left tackle, it's a great rush by six. He sets him up. The left tackle, he's in good position right now. Now when six goes to get inside, that inside foot, again, has to get back in the ground. And what does he do again? He loses depth with it, right? He's not able to step lateral. So six is able to get across his face. And as he carries 40, he carries the left tackle with him, 45 truthfully should have come tighter and could have gotten to the quarterback earlier. But he comes off on this right now and gets a late shot on the quarterback. So you, I mean, you end up with three blue jerseys, uh, or two blue jerseys, three blue jerseys, really getting shots on the quarterback. Okay. Um, so and, if I'm Alabama, if I'm LSU, this is in my, I, I'm, I'm looking at this play. It, going, it, this it, is it's already, my, it's already the, in your playbook, but yeah. you're going to study. Okay. When did they send these pressures? Why did they send these pressures? When, when were they effective? Okay. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Got you. Move, moving on here. Okay. Ole Miss goes back to the same play I showed you earlier. Outside receivers are on that read vertical. Corner bells, I stop. Corner gives it to me. I'm getting over the top, and I, I'm going to go win right now. Now, this was – let me make sure it's the play I'm thinking of. Okay, th- we're going to come down here again to the field. Big-time throw right there with pressure in his face. Phenomenal job by the outside receiver uh, coming back to the ball. And if he doesn't slip right there – has a chance to convert this first down. This um, is third and, and 11 right here, right? This is third and 11, and then this is where they end up going forward on fourth down, yeah. I think, in the Wildcat. Yeah, they go Wildcat next play. But, you know, again, great job. There's the read, boom, come back, balls in rhythm, does a great job. And, again, if he doesn't slip, I mean, it, it, it's a first down, and it, it's a big play. So let's go to the end zone. Let's see what what happened. Why, why did we give up the pressure, okay? So there's the odd front again, all right? They're not showing them a traditional look. You've got the DN to the left is standing up. He's three feet out there. The DN to the right is in a stance. He's freaking five feet outside the tackle. All right. What they are going to do here, all right, is they are going to, they had, they know Ole Miss likes draw in these situations. They like the quarterback draw. So they are going to leave linebackers in the box for the draw and they're going to put that linebacker on what they, what you call a dog. Okay. If the tailback steps up and becomes part of the protection and engages, I'm man-to-man on this tailback. As soon as he engages as part of the protection, I get to go now insert and become a blitzer because I have nobody to be responsible for him man-to-man. So it allows me as a defense to add an extra guy to my rush. 
Okay. It's almost like spying the tailback and late he can become a blitzer. Okay. So here they're bringing a similar blitz. All right. Where they're bringing 45 back around the outside again. Okay. What happens here is the center takes the nose. He see takes the nose, but you can see his protection rules. The center seems to think that these two guys are working for these two defenders. The left guard, you can see his eyes clearly thinks that these two are working for these two. Okay. So what happens right here, as the nose goes, the center takes him. You can see the guard's got eyes here on the outside to the left, but the center is keying this backer to the right. Well, based on what I can tell, it looks like that's who the running back is responsible for. Okay. I don't know why my, my, my drawings are all funky tonight, yeah. but as, as that backer goes to blitz now, the center comes off to take the guy the back has already declared. And now the nose is scot-free to get a shot on the quarterback. So, I mean, this is just a plain communication bust up yeah. front. Because this is this is Caleb Warren lets zero go to block 99, even though Quinshawn has stepped up to block 99. And then the left the left guard, McGee, I think, he's he's blocking the the right the right side of the rush and it lets zero yeah. kind of get a free shot on dark. Correct. So yeah. th- they end up turning one of them, you know, you never want to turn the nose loose. It's a guy closest to the quarterback, right? And and they turn him loose right there just on a pure protection bus, just not understanding alignment or assignment. And, and look, what I can't tell you is, is that a look they prepared for? Is that something they had seen? I don't know, you know. Um, maybe, maybe, you know, who knows where the breakdown came, whether it was in preparation or whether it was in, um, just in communication. Okay. So right here, uh, Ole Miss gets in the pistol. Okay. They, they, they did. They went forward on the wildcat on first down. Um, I'll be honest with you. Keyshawn has great, or Kenshawn Juggins has great vision. He missed the cut on that play. Could have been a little bit better play potentially. Um, but that it wasn't worth watching for the purpose of what I wanted to talk about. So here, okay, you can look right here. We're first and 10 now. There are five guys at the line of scrimmage. There's one linebacker in the box. There's a defender that's Ole Miss is in a bunch formation to the left, and the bunch formation is tight and close to the tackle box. Okay, there's a defender over that. There's a corner outside as well as a safety on top. So they they're showing three over three over the bunch. Okay. Hard set to RPO from unless you have something going in the flat or something right now. And that's not what Ole Miss is going to do. So I'm going to, again, I'm going to jump to the end zone copy right here. Okay. So right now, Ole Miss is running what's essentially a, a zone scheme. Okay. And it, it's whether it's, there's an online article that I'm I'm sure Siski can probably fill you in on this, but there's, Arguments about inside zone and duo and how how different are the two run schemes, right? And I don't know if Ole Miss teaches this as a, as a duo or as a zone scheme, and there is nuance in the difference between the two, but they can essentially get you the same result, okay? What I would expect and anticipate right here if they're drawing this up on the board is they're telling the offensive line, okay, these two are basically responsible for these two. We're going to put these two guys here working the nose up to this single stack backer. 
and we're going to turn loose the wide guy, and we are going to now combo up on this end. Now, for some reason, and again, I don't know how they're teaching it as a man scheme, as a zone scheme, because all that stuff matters, okay? But they decide here that the left tackle is going to take the end by himself, and Trigg is going to turn out to this outside rush defender. The play is designed to hit downhill. So if you want to leave somebody free, you want it to be that outside defender, okay? What Tulane is going to do. He's not going to get there in time to. He he shouldn't. Right. If Dart hands the ball off and carries out a fake, somebody has to be responsible for that quarterback. Right. Right. So what Tulane is going to do here is they're going to add number eight, this safety that is actually over the bunch. The bunch tight formations can be great for an offense. I love condensed sets. You watch the NFL right now, it is absolutely full of condensed sets. It is in vogue in football right now for a lot of good reasons. There are so many advantages. The biggest disadvantage to bunch sets, in my opinion, is that you make it easier for defenses to mask who is part of the rush and who's in the fit. Right here, number eight, who is lined up over the bunch all the way to the very far right of my screen, conventionally, you would think he is part of the coverage package there. He is actually going to become part of the fit, and he is going to fold in, and he is going to become the extra defender that they have found ways to add all game long now. Okay? So is this Ron's? You can see here, all right, when Trigg turns out to take the the outside linebacker that's coming off the edge, there's no way that the slot receiver can get to number eight because they have taken the defensive end. They've rammed him into B-gap. The outside backer is outside. Number eight comes slots, comes scot-free right there in the hole with nowhere for Judkins to go. Okay. Now, the truth is the O-line, we have seen several times in the past where Ole Miss's offensive line has done a great job of feeling this movement staying attached to bodies and the running backs finding the crease, okay? If the scheme had asked Trigg to work a vertical combo right here and he stepped with the idea that I'm going to take over this end and that end goes inside, he would have kept climbing and should have ended up on number eight. But I don't know if that's how they're teaching the scheme. Right. So I can't tell you he's wrong. I'm not, that's not what, what I'm here for. Okay. But that's how you, you, you gain that hat. Okay. Now you don't like the left tackle getting beat right here. It's kind of what we looked at earlier when it was the right tackle. There's the slant. Now his second steps in the ground. If his head is on the inside of the defender, he probably really handles this well. His hat placement is wrong, but he gets on the backside hip. He drives the defender flat down the line. That is not an awful rep by any means. It's not a perfect rep, but that rep gives you a chance right here, okay? If they can do anything to get to eight, you see the hole. There is a huge lane there, and four is on a safety by himself ready to ride, but because you can't get to eight, he's able to fall off, make the tackle, let help arrive, and now limit the game. So there have been so many clips where Ole Miss has just had a chance to have big plays, and it's just fallen off, 
Okay. Um, let's skip forward a little bit. All right. So a couple of plays later, exact same formation. They just flipped it the other direction. Now they're going to run the same play. Okay. Now I can't, again, I don't know exactly how they're teaching it because here the tight end does work vertical, but now the, his guy is vertical, right? In the previous snap, he was at the line of scrimmage coming off the edge where here he is off the ball a little bit more. Now you can tell number eight's not folding in now because he's outside leverage. Okay. So now they're building their, their eighth defender from somewhere else. And in this case, I don't know what's happening right there. In this case, they're bringing the defender from the boundary. They're coming from the short side of the field. And that's one of the things I spent a lot of time looking at because I, I felt like they brought a ton of their pressures from the boundary except for when the ball's in the middle of the field because you can't, and so their pressure package changed. But I thought they did a a really nice job of mixing up from the boundary to the strength of the formation and kind of back and forth. So here they're going to bring the defender from the opposite side. They're going to come from the weak side, but the same thing happens, okay? There was a quote that Kiffin made. I, I think it was in the press conference where somebody asked him about the run game, and he said, you know, there were some times where where they made the wrong point. They called the wrong point, okay? What they mean by that typically in zone run schemes is your first combo has to work to somebody, and you have to identify who that is so that the next combo knows who they're working to, okay? If 31 is deep right here, and if this is a zone concept, and it certainly plays out like a zone concept, then these two guys are going to be responsible for these two defenders. And that means that the center and the right guard are going to be responsible for the nose and 45. Okay. Then you've got these two that are responsible for the backside end and this backside backer. And if the picture stays like that, you're hatted. You're in great shape to run the football. When 31 walks down, if you change the point to him, now it means that the center and left guard work to the point here, the right guard, excuse me, and now these two would have to work to 45. The angles are not great, but now you're saying that you're going to force this guy either off the edge or to fall in and make the tackle. Instead, they keep the point here on 45, so nobody works up to 31 right there. And there he is falling in again, just uncontested to make the play. So this is (coughs) another example from a communication standpoint where their communication seems to fail them and how they're trying to sort this out. How much of that is, how much of that is communication and how much of that is in credit to the other side? This is really, you know, it's it's both it's really I mean, good coaching and schematics from too late. Well, it's both because here's the other layer of it, right? You add the safety late and you hope they don't change the point. They don't. The other thing they do, they take this end and rifle him out and they fold him back inside. So if it really is zone, occupy, you really occupy their attention that way. You, you, you occupy, but here's the thing, right? If this guard now works up to 31 and he locks on him, when I fold inside, I'm still free, yeah. right? There's a lot of advantages to working that twist the way that they worked it. If um, if Ole Miss was running a zone where they were zoning to the right, 
and bringing the tight end all the way back across, that tight end would end up kicking the end. The tackle would probably end up picking 31, and the ball would cut right to this guy who's twisting back inside. If Ole Miss was running one of their gap schemes, if they were running counter, right, you continually just – they're doing a lot of – its again, it's nothing crazy. It's just smart, and their kids are doing a great job of it, of, of kind of getting themselves – um, to the fit right there. And just, again, it leaves you kind of with, with, with an unblocked hat. Um, you know, I, I, there, there's a couple more that I'd, I'd like to show. I, I really don't have a, a ton of time. I'm going to show you this one though. Okay. All this right. one, Dart doesn't have a ton of misses. Um, and, and protection wasn't always his friend. I thought this was a really good play call. Um, at the time it attacked exactly what they were doing right here. So they're working what's a shallow concept. Okay. But they're doing it from a condensed set. So they're going to take these two inside guys and they're going to clear things out. Some type of a vertical post corner, whatever outside receiver to the left is going to run a dig route. Under the outside receiver to the right is going to run a shallow route coming back across the formation. The tailback is in protection. He's going to check and release out, okay? So if for some reason you get a too high safety structure and the middle of the field opens, there's probably going to be a route uh, to to expose it, okay? If you get man-to-man, though, you've created a hard situation for somebody to chase this shallow route. They rotate here late into a different coverage, and they get exactly what they want. Dart is reading this linebacker. If this linebacker gets depth, which is what he's doing, he's looking for this dig. Then the ball should come right underneath here to the shallow. If that guy drives the shallow, it should open up this dig window. What I think Dart's holding on to here, okay, is he's looking at this seam route, because as he sees the the rotation, that seam route is open, but it it's not going to be a forty yard throw downfield. It's going to be a rocket before the corner can squeeze it, and before the free safety can can work to it as the coverage rotates. Okay, so here you can see his eyes. He's looking. It looks like at that seam, the seam's not expecting the ball. So now he's working. Okay, where's my dig? And he just ends up feeling that late pressure and taking the sack right there. But you can see, call it a hot route. In our offense, we call it a danger route. We tell our quarterbacks, feel danger, throw danger, right? No, nowhere. I feel danger. Where's my danger route? Get it out right now. His danger route in this scenario is one, right? It's that shallow right there coming right across the field. And if he hits it, wide open with a long way to run and convert this chain for a first down. I know we're running out of time, but but where does the coverage, where does the protection break down? Because in fairness to Jackson, right, it's one thing to go, oh, in hindsight, looking at the film, one's wide open, but he's 94 is on him. So I didn't even notice live the wide open receiver. I noticed what the D-line did, and they showed the replay of it, Okay. This is a very, very well executed. Now, the the left side of Ole Miss's offensive line, the right side of Tulane's D-line, 
poorly executed stunt. The other side, the right side of the Ole Miss offense, left side of the the two-lane defense, perfectly executed stunt, okay? There is an art and nuance to running these D-line stunts, and when you can execute them properly, it can pay off, okay? What you essentially get right here, if you watch the, the defensive tackle to the right of the offense, the left of my screen, and the defensive end, they're essentially fixing to run pick and roll. We're Carl Malone, John Stockton right here. Okay. okay. All right. All right. So th- this would be called a Tex stunt. So this because is 94, a, 94 is the tackle, six is the end. Yep. So a Tex stunt, it's a cross between the tackle and the end where the tackle goes first. Okay. So the tackle is going to work out and he is aiming at the hip of the offensive tackle. And he is trying to set a pick on that player. Okay. The D end is going to start up field. And when he sees his tackle come to set the pick, he's going to fold inside and try to get all the way to a gap. If the guard stays on the defensive tackle, a gap is opened up for the end, but this is where it becomes pick and roll right here. What you're going to see. And I, as I run this clip is the guard. He great job. He protects his inside with his first step. He has to do it versus this alignment. Boom. Protect my inside. Second foot in the ground. Now hands are on. I'm trying to run him wide. Okay. Now there's the pick. Okay. He comes off. He sees the end coming. He comes off. And when he does, there's the roll to the basket by Carl Malone. Okay. See, see, see how that happens. Yeah. That's really smart. And it, it literally plays out like a pick and roll. There's no way right now because the defensive tackle's on the hip of the offensive tackle. There is no way for that offensive tackle from that leverage standpoint to get back inside and defend that gap. Had had the tackle played with more depth, he has a chance. But so you here, look at this. You look at this live, and you go, "James got beat." But when you look at it on replay, understanding what happened, it's Pettis didn't get deep enough. It, James is expecting Pettis to be able to switch that off. They're in the man side of the protection. They are man to man on those two guys. Okay, so he's expecting if Pettis has depth, we're going to pass this twist off. Okay, now you practice that tackle making a call. In, 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 switch, 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 right? And that's when you expect your guard to go. I have no idea if that call happened. If Pettis made the switch call, then he got himself beat, right? If he didn't make the switch call, you may teach the guard to stay locked on right here. But there's the pick. The guard comes off. They switch the defense, essentially. If you're using the basketball terms, and there's the roll to the basket, and there's nothing Pettis could do right there, okay? On the other side, just for comparison, if you look at the other side of the offensive line, all right, Ole Miss has a third offensive player. But the other thing that happens here is this. If you watch the side where the sack happened, number six is upfield for three steps, engages Pettis before he goes inside. If you watch the other side where it was ineffective, the end takes one step and goes right now and runs into his defensive tackle. But he creates trash there where the, yeah. Exactly. Okay. So that but that they, they did a Tulane did a great job just executing um 
executing that stunt. And then um, I'm going to show, let me, let me, I was one more clip I want to show. I want to make sure I'm showing the right. Um, okay. I'm going to show one more. All right. Again, Dart, Dart doesn't miss many. And it's almost hard to call this one a miss. Okay. I love the call by Ole Miss right here. All right. They're going to run a version of mesh. And Tulane put on a mesh clinic during parts of this game against Ole Miss. And we that's something, again, we talked about last week on the preview shows. It's a, they run a lot of mesh concepts in their passing game. This is one I, I don't recall having seen Ole Miss use right here. Okay. They're going to put the outside receiver, and he's in man-to-man here, and Dart knows it. They're going to put him on a little stutter and go, almost like a hitch and go. And Dart's probably got a pre-snap yes, no. I like my matchup. I like where the technique they're playing. I'm going to put this ball up, and I'm going to give it a ride. Okay? And that's what he chooses to do, and it just is, boom, good route, good release. He's beat with the right ball. It just fades a little bit too far outside of the receiver but it really had a chance to be a big, explosive play. Love the play design, okay? Now, what they're doing on the other side of the field or inside of that, if he does not like that matchup, is they're giving him a mesh concept. So you got three receivers ultimately to the left. The outside guy's the hitch and go. Okay, The most inside guy is aiming about 10 yards over the ball, and he's going to look to sit down in that window. And if he feels like it's man-to-man, He's now going to look for somebody to go set a screen on. The outside receiver is aiming right at about five yards, right at linebacker depth, and he's going to, again, set a screen or find a window to sit down once he crosses the ball. The single receiver to the right is going to come underneath, and he is thinking the same thing. If it's man-to-man, I'm going to run away. If there's all this open space, I'm going to run away. If not, I'm going to settle in the window, and we have built a triangle as an offense now in our passing concept. Dart takes his matchup. I have zero issue with him taking this matchup. You take these balls, sometimes you hit them, sometimes you don't. But, again, you can see right here, pressure in his face. If he takes his danger out, if he takes this shallow on this mesh concept, here it comes right there, boom, balls plenty of time. He catches that ball in stride, and it is going to take a great tackle by this defender who's trying to run over all the trash to stop this from being an absolutely huge play. So it's just an example. You know, you don't, it's hard to be critical of Dart's decision. Um, there is a little bit of pressure. The ball ends up just a little bit wide. But if he would have just taken the easy throw right there, taken the underneath, and you can see it in his face in this one. Um, you know, they, they bring the pressure again. There's the pressure. All right. And they're bringing more than Ole Miss can block. Look, Ole Miss is, Ole Miss is protecting right here with six. Okay. And, and they're going to bring, I mean, they're bringing fully six, but they're bringing them through all sorts of twists right there. They're causing all sorts of issues. He stands in there, but if he can just right now hit this shallow route that's right over the ball. You can see how much space there is to go run with, with with the catch. So in a lot of ways, from a game plan standpoint, Ole Miss did a lot of great things. Um, and, and I will say this, and whether Kiffin said it after the game or, you know, it was original to Dart or, or whoever wants to take the credit for it, um, the um, – trying to figure – there we go. 
the uh I I do think that the resilience shown by Ole Miss was far and away different than anything you would have seen last year or the year before. Um, but especially last year. And early in the season, it is good to get that under your belt. If they can clean up some offensive line play, if they can get a little bit more production from the tight end position, both as a blocker and as a receiver, they'll be better offensively. They're still talented. They're going to have to get guys back healthy, though, before you really see what they're capable of doing. Yeah, it should be a interesting game Saturday, and then the two weeks after that, Alabama, LSU, we're just – I'm, I mean, I'm fascinated. I have no idea. If you told me Ole Miss wins those games, I believe it. If you told me they lose those games, I believe it. If you say they split those games, I believe it. I, I don't know, but I'm I'm really curious. The the talent's there to get it done. Of course, there's talent on the other sides too, and and now there's some stuff on film that you know is going to get exploited, and you've got to figure out a way to block it up. Because if you don't yeah. if you don't play better offensively as a front, it's it's not going to work against. Alabama and LSU, which are two teams that are better up front on defense than Tulane is, period. Well, the one thing I'll say is is as worried as Ole Miss fans might be right now about their offense, um, there are fan bases on both sides, um, both for LSU and Alabama, that, that have watched them the past couple of weeks and gone, man, our defense has been exposed a little bit. Yeah, I mean, you look around the league, I mean, we've talked about this on Saturday, I'll be quick because we're, we're out of time, but with the exception of Georgia's defense, which is legit, it's a it's a bunch of studs. With the exception of Georgia's defense, I'm not sure there's a unit in the league of the other thirteen and a half teams that feels great about anything. Like there's question marks. You could pick a team, any team, just pull one out of the hat. I mean, like frankly, look at Texas A&M last weekend. Their offense played pretty well against Miami. Yep. Their, yep. Their, their defense was abysmal. Yep. Um, you know, uh, LSU, there, there, there are defensive question marks. You know, what's going on with Perkins? Is there enough wide receiver targets to take advantage of what Jaden Daniels does? Um, Mississippi State, is there enough offense there? You know, defensively, they're they're okay, but yep. is there enough offense? Uh, I'm just picking SEC West teams for a minute. I, I didn't think Auburn looked very good against Cal. Uh, I didn't think Arkansas Arkansas struggling to run the football against bad teams. Western Carolina, Kent State, uh, KJ Jefferson has made enough plays where it hasn't mattered. But when you get into SEC play, is is there enough? They haven't had Sanders yet, but they, you know, they, is there enough running attack to do what they want to do in in that offense? So everybody's got questions. So Ole Miss is far from alone. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's early in the season, and. Um... I think that there's a lot of teams trying to still figure out who they are. And some it's it's because of injuries and some it's just it's a different season. Things change. Yeah. You know, even with some of the same players, things tend to change. That does it for this edition of Pete's Pigskin Preview presented by Riverland Roofing. Please don't forget to get in touch with our friends at uh, Riverland. Again, I'll get that number to you. Let me get down to it real quick. Uh, I moved to a different screen because we were doing something different. It's 662-644-4297 at Riverland Roofing. We'll be back this time next week. We'll probably turn a lot of our attention to Alabama. The Crimson Tide plays South Florida on Saturday at 2.30. That game's on ABC. So if you're watching that, the big question with Alabama, what they're doing at quarterback, um, 
we'll see what happens on Saturday and then uh, Ole Miss and Alabama next Saturday, 2.30, CBS in Tuscaloosa. We'll talk a lot about that on the next edition of Pete's Pigskin Preview. For Pete Deweese, I'm Neil McCready. Until next time, take care. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.